everyone and welcome to the third episode of From the Ashes podcast. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and if you've listened to the first two episodes, thank you for that as well. If you haven't, I retract those thanks. Go and listen to them first. But thank you for being here with me today. I have got an absolutely huge guest for the podcast today in so many ways. He is the titan of the territories. He is the man with the plan and the golden tan, sometimes a little bit orange and patchy. He is a man that I've known for 20 years and one of my closest friends in and out of the wrestling business, Sunset Skip. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to talk about a couple of things today. Most of all, the news that came out just this last weekend of the unfortunate passing of a friend of mine, Frank Reimer. Now, myself and Skip, we talk about Frank in in depth and at length during our interview. His impact on the wrestling business his impact on us and everything he did for the much wider UK scene and so many people but I want to just speak very quickly about how Frank helped me on a personal level when myself and Phil moved on from the FWA and we ended up at Dropkicks Frank took a lot of time with us to really kind of help us grow and harness us help us develop as performers and he had a lot of faith in us at a time when I didn't have much in myself Frank really kind of took us under his wing and helped us out on so many levels, just understanding what we were doing, giving us some faith and some belief in us. And it's thanks to Frank that I had two years of training in the United States at Dave Taylor's Blue Bloods Academy, training with Dave Taylor, William Regal, Chris Benoit, Daniel Bryan. And then from that, the WWE tryout. That was all thanks to Frank. He facilitated that with Dave Taylor and with Fit Finley, and he got us into a WWE tryout, which at that time didn't happen. So I'm immensely thankful and grateful to Frank for everything that he did for me. I honestly think that he had probably more impact on me and my career, just in terms of his faith in me and the opportunities he gave to me uh, than anybody else. So... It's a hard thing to deal with, and I'm going to miss Frank terribly. We used to catch up quite regularly and complain about the wrestling business and things. Frank was just always, always positive, and he always wanted to help everybody. I'm very grateful that he's been in my life and for everything he did for me, and he's going to be greatly missed. So this one's for you, Frank. Thank you for everything. You'll never, ever be forgotten. Okay, it's time for today's interview. I sat down with Sunset Skip for the best part of two hours, and I have not had so much fun in such a long time. We laughed, we told old stories, we went over things that we'd both forgotten about. It was just a real fun interview with somebody that I've known for 20 years of my life. We recounted a lot of stories of the old days of wrestling, how it used to be, of the real peak periods, some of the terrible things that we had to go through, and it was just two good friends having a laugh, having a discussion, and some unbelievable stories that I think if you were to tell people that weren't involved in wrestling, they wouldn't believe they were possible. So get yourself comfy, sit back and enjoy the interview, and uh, give me a like and a subscribe please for the podcast, and I'll see you at the end. Well here it is, this is 
podcast number three, and it may in many ways be the biggest podcast of all time because my guest today is the first man to gorilla press Andre the Giant. He is the man who invented the headlock. He is the man who, when it was back in the day of the Colosseum and the Christians and the Lions, neither wanted to face him. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest of this podcast, he is the man known as Sunset Skip. Good morning, good afternoon. I have no idea what time it is. It might be dark outside. I haven't opened the curtains, but I'm very, very excited to be here, Ash. Thank you for having me, brother man. I don't think any of us kind of know either what time of day or day or what a day is anymore now. No. Um, like I was saying to you before this, it's some kind of weird dystopia. That I just uh, Time doesn't have a meaning anymore. It's, it's sweatpants. That's That's the definition of day. That's going to become currency in the future. You do realize it. We're going to trade and barter with sweatpants. I, I thought from from Fallout it would be bottle caps, but no, it's going to be sweatpants. You know, I, <laughs> I, I was saying to someone just a few days ago, I actually have like different quality of sweatpants during the week. So uh -huh. I've got like my good sweatpants, which I tend to wear on a Monday and a Friday because you know feel good on a Monday, and then during the week it gets progressively less smart fitted, whatever. And then back to the weekend, I kind of force myself into adult trousers because. Yeah. I need to wear something that isn't polyester. I've actually got to the point now where I have going out sweatpants and staying in sweatpants. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You, have I mean, to, I, you have to have a separation between them. I, I stopped caring about looking like a a, a a tramp going out in sweatpants. I've still got tassels on because, you know, you got to uh, gotta brother it up, brother. So I've, <laughs> I've got tassels, neon tassels on all of my sweatpants. So, But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just comfort over, yeah. over style these days. Hey, we've got to get what we can get. So Absolutely. look, um, we've got a lot to talk about. We've known each mm -hmm. other for what over twenty years now. It's got to um, be close. Got to be. We've got a lot to talk about. But um, one thing I always try and do is is make sure that we're as close on the pulse with things as possible with uh, with any discussions that come up. Um, and yesterday, uh, I kind of woke up to a bit of a bit of a shocking news in a way. Yeah. Um, the passing of Frank Reimer. So, for the listeners that may not be completely aware of frank frank was an ex world of sports star he came up in the golden years when world of sport was the biggest thing on tv and it was out drawing the fa cup final he rubbed shoulders with all the names in the old world of sport days and it knew everybody stevie gray um johnny sane Rodable rocco all of the guys and frank after retirement started up a school called drop kicks in perfleet in kent and and I can't overstate this enough. Drop kicks, I believe, and I was thinking about this yesterday, is the most influential school the UK has ever had. Because, and you can you can add to this with me, mate. The mm. the people that came from there and went on, and some are still going as well. We're looking at Shah Samuels, who's just signed up to NXT. Yeah. Paul Robinson, one of the biggest stars on the UK circuit right mm. now. Um, Terry Frazier, who was one half of the cartel. Oh, Terry Wibbin. Huge if he'd still stuck with it. I honestly, I, I said while he was still going, that I honestly believed he was the best all-round performer in the UK. Yeah. Without question. Um, my former tag partner, Chris Linnell, um, and above all of the others, yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't say above, <laughs> but it's, you know, it is a hell of a luminary list that came through. And even guys who were kind of uh, more FWA mainstays and then kind of passed through guys like who are still going strong now, like RJ, RJ Singh sticks. Yep. It's a, a veritable who's who of certainly British wrestling of the early 2000s and then 
like the legacy it's had because drop kicks is still going strong. I was talking yeah. to uh, to Jordan Said over Twitter yesterday, and you know he said that the amount of people that have passed through drop kicks is unreal. So yeah. like the legacy drop kicks has had like twenty years later, it's still going strong. Twenty years later, there's still wrestlers from there who are still going strong. So it is a you know mm. in, indelible print that that Frank and Tony uh, Frank Reimer and Tony Scarlo had from setting up drop kicks even today. I think that the first four or five years of, of IPW UK, the, at least the two upper thirds of that roster was Dropkick's alumni. I, I would say so. I mean, certainly from, you know, like I said, that early mid 2000s, I would say that in the South, virtually, I'd say, yeah, probably close to a good 50% of the roster would be uh, some sort of Dropkick's alumni or and or FWA Academy, yeah. you know, from kind of the early mid 2000s standpoint. Yeah. And then that kind of bloomed into all sorts of things. I mean, that's, you know, having been from Dropkicks myself, uh, myself, you and Cruz, we set up the uh, the, the UBW school in, uh, well, it was before it predated UBW when uh, myself yeah. and Cruz did it in 2011. So uh, the amount of, you know, we, we had training schools in Hertfordshire before that as well. So it all kind of, from that catalyst, that nucleus of Dropkicks, it all kind of built a bit mm. to many other things. It blossomed and branched off in so many other ways. And Frank facilitated so many opportunities for people. Like he got so many of us involved in the camps. Another mm. guy just came to mind, uh, Greg Burridge. Oh, absolutely. Um, he got Greg onto All Star, and back in those days, you couldn't get All Star was like the Freemasons. You couldn't get in unless you mm. were very good friends with somebody in it, and you could bring something to it. He got all of us involved in the camps. Yep. He got all of us hooked up with um, uh, John Coppin mm -hmm. and um, oh, give me some more names. Uh, uh, there was Steve Manelli, where Steve kind Manelli. Of people went from there as well. And it was just, it, it set, it, Frank and Tony really kind of had so many of these links and it was a case of, okay, you can do that. I mean, I, I personally felt that when I uh, made my, my my debut, it was it was far too soon, but I was told, yep, yeah, go, come on, you're a big lad. And I think it was probably a lack of confidence from myself, which kind of meant that I yeah. kind of didn't do as well as I thought, uh, as I should have. But having that opportunity from Frank was something where you just think, wow, I would have never have had that, you know, because of Frank Reimer, the amount of people who were like, no, I am or was a professional wrestler is, you know, his, as I said, his kind of uh, indelible stamp will, will always kind of be there. So it's, yeah. yeah, he has had a huge impact on on British wrestling over, you know, a 20-year period after his his in-ring career. Yeah, in the enormous footprint. And I think, you know, he he um, empowered so many people as well um, with his, his belief in it. And passion. Uh, his, his passion, exactly. He lived and breathed it, um, running the British Wrestlers Reunion and taking that from being a couple of dozen stragglers to being several hundred people every mm. year at the, the Wrestlers' Arms. Uh, Frank was the, the the power behind that entire event. And, yeah, he's, his legacy, I think, needs to be sung about so much more of what he Absolutely. did. Um, Absolutely. If nothing else, you know, he provided us a tuck shop on a Sunday <laughs> to, to go and just keep being true athletes and buying chomp bars in between sessions. Um, yeah. Frank, well, they were long sessions. We were there like eight hours a day on a Sunday. It was a full day, man. It was a full day on a Sunday. It was great. But yeah, he, Frank's, Frank's work and Frank's effort, I think, made so many of us. So um, I wanted to make sure we touched on that because I don't think I could talk about Frank with anybody else as much as with you. No. Um, I mean, we could we could have a whole podcast all about easily. Frank and Dropkicks and though, you know, was, was such a character and again, mm -hmm. like you said, such an influential figure. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to, wanted to make, make sure we mentioned that and um, kind of pay a bit of respects to Frank and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, it forever 
indebted to him myself. Absolutely. Many of us. Okay. Um, moving on to the enigma that is Sunset Skip. Yes, indeed. Um, the famous one. He's a little bit rich. He's a little bit famous. <laughs> so what infamous. we... we infamous, yeah. <laughs> You've seen Three Amigos, right? <laughs> he's infamous. He's more than famous. So we we met what? Was it 2002? Yes. 2001? Actually, no. I think it was 2001 because I remember... I remember you being at the Walthamstow events um, looking a bit like Beaker from yes. the Muppet Show. Young, I think that was 2001, maybe. Skip. I, th- I want to say somewhere between late 2001, early, mid-2002. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's been best part of 20 years since we geez. first met one another. No, it hasn't. I, refu- I, I saw something the other day, actually, which has <laughs> kind of messed with my perception of time. It was like uh, when you think of 26 years ago, there's no way you think it's 1995. To me, 26 years ago was probably at some point in the 1970s. Yeah, so like 70s. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to believe anything other than that. Yeah. Like, yeah, like 1995 was not 26 years ago. I refuse to believe that, you know, somebody born in 1995 is like a full grown adult. No. 1995 was 15 years ago. If that. I refuse to believe anything if else. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in my head, I think it's still somewhere around 2006. <sighs> Terrifying. So, anyway, so. <laughs> take me through what started so as i as i mentioned to bobby tyler and as i kind of covered over crowley as well and i say this to everybody there's a big step and a big difference between mm. being a fan of this and going you know what i'm going to give this a go and then there's an even bigger step in going oh that hurts i'm going to stay doing this <laughs> take me through young young you young me young me, <laughs> young me manager you of myself <laughs> young me <laughs> young... golf course in dubai oh, sebastian would enjoy this um <laughs> take me through the early days so before you came to training yeah kind of a little bit of your youth uh how you became a wrestling fan and what made you sit there one day and have that that, that light bulb go off in your head uh, and I say light bulb, it's more like a small match. Of... <laughs> well, I don't know, with the size of my head, it's probably more like uh, a you know, vast street light. It's not like the thing they use to summon Batman. Is. They're huge. No, it's more like the bat signal, you know, like the kind of wattage behind <laughs> that. Um, but what, what kind of drove you to get involved in wrestling as well? But kind of take us through leading up to that. Like, what, what, how did you find wrestling as, a, as an entertainment medium? Well, I, uh, did I first... you think I'm going to do this? I first remember watching wrestling when I was. Seven. That was a good noise. I won't do that again. When I was about, <laughs> I want to say seven, eight, nine. You know, I mean, it was that long ago where it was uh, kind of all, all a bit of a blur. But I was uh, visiting what, my yesterday? grandparents. It was like yesterday was a blur. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was uh, visiting my grandparents and my granddad had it on, and I remember watching it. And I, I seem to have it kind of semi vividly in my head that it was what I now would know as a jobber match with with uh, Hercules, and just pounding some some no mark and i was just impressed by this massive dude just doing stuff and then i think from then on in i was like wrestling is awesome <laughs> what is this stuff i need to watch it as much as i can and because i grew up in the era of hulk hogan ultimate warrior rick rude mr perfect big boss man and that was just stuff which just was amazing and then so i was a fan from kind of then on in and then what got me absolutely hooked and to this day i'm still a, a fan of both of these guys like one had kind of a throughout various periods like a lot of influence on my career and the other one's just you know an exalted legend i saw uh i was at a friend's house and there was a wcw event on and there was brian pillman versus jushin liger and i'd seen wrestling before for like a couple of years but seeing that 
just this state-of-the-art cruiserweight style just blew my mind. And also looking at Liger, like, what is this dude dressed as? Like, he's come straight out of some sort of comic book. It was superhero. Yeah. And it was that just kind of made me go, wow, this is this has gone from like awesome to the greatest thing ever. Um, And then, yeah, like what kind of shifted me to to being a wrestling fan? Like as a kid growing up, I did martial arts on and off for forever. I did judo. I did taekwondo. I did a little bit of karate. I dabbled with that still into my into my 20s and then kind of the real world caught up with me. And uh, I played rugby as a kid as well. So I've always been quite a, a physical person. So who's not been afraid of kind of getting getting a bit of a whack. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go. And I remember like the first, like everyone, the first bump I, t- I hit, I was like, <laughs> okay, wow, that's... <laughs> it's okay. I didn't need those lungs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm stupid enough to go, all right, let's do it again. You know, a, you know, a <laughs> stupid passion, kind of whatever the the right describing word would be there i thought right let's let's do this let's go again and and again and again and again and again and uh stuck with it for for near 20 years yeah yeah i mean i can i can imagine that um 91 being a fan of of what you see which at that point was just kind of a lot the primarily big lads lumping and kicking one another and all of a sudden you see this genre defining groundbreaking mm-hmm. um it, just foundation laying match in Liger and Pillman, which I showed that. That's how good it is. Exactly that. I was going to say, I showed it to somebody recently who's somebody who said, Oh, what's all all this fuss about Pillman and Liger? People talk about it. Is it honestly as good as that? I sent them a link. I went, just sit and watch 20 minutes later. I get, I get a match. Yeah. I was going to say 20 minutes later and I get a message back going, Oh, Oh my. And yeah, it does stand up today. Like good. Good's probably not a strong enough, uh, strong enough describing word, but, outstanding is going to be outstanding regardless like there's a reason why even you know as like i was pushing 50 plus years old he was still amazing you know it's it's not even just the, the in-ring standard there's mm-hmm. just i mean the in-ring standard with him didn't drop which is just mind-blowing but kind of a, a top level performer athlete whatever yeah never goes below <laughs> like, this is going to sound quite quite kind of a strange analogy I, uh, one of my musical guilty pleasures is Lionel Richie, and I've wanted to see him forever. And I saw him a few years back, and the man's been doing the same act for 30 years, but those 30 years, it is the most slick, smooth act you will ever see. And, and that's what it became like with someone like Liger. Like, he perfected the act 30 years ago. So why, why yeah. kind of go away from what you know is an amazing act? Of course, you know, Lionel, Lionel Richie and Jushin Liger kind of dropped in uh, new stuff here and there, but the act was so good, the new stuff fits seamlessly in there because they knew where to put the new stuff in, where to kind of, you know, uh, remove what could be a padding in the gimmick and kind of know that, okay, the greatest hits are here. This is the stuff that I want to get get over now as well. And it's a great performer will remain a great performer and it will be timeless. You know, like we again, kind of with a musical analogy, and this is probably a little less tenuous stuff like Michael Jackson is always going to sound contemporary. It's always going to sound good. Even, you know, 34 years after it was released now. So I was just making a note that I'm, I'm going to be on Photoshop after this, making Houston Thunder Lionel. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely Maybe, right. Uh, Lionel Thunder Richie. <laughs> one, one, well, I was, and that's got to be a first. Like I was one skip. or the other. 
<laughs> Sunset Skips had a career of first, right? I am the first, and I want this on my first show back. Let it be said, I'm going to write this down as well. I want to be, he compared Lionel Richie and Jushin Liger's careers. I, I think that's that fair. Be, uh, I, I, I think that's. I think we actually get a T-shirt made with one on the front and the other on the back. I'd love wear that. All just day. a little tagline saying, and just kind of. I don't know. Actually, you want to get a T-shirt with one, one on the front, one on the back that's reversible. Yes. So you know, it, it, you, people don't you. You kind of come into a match wearing one side. You switch it around and you leave wearing the other side, and people go, "Wait, hold on a second. And the idea is, yeah, they're the same person. That's it. I I, I want it to be said. I mean, there was a. The, Fabulous photo, I think, uh, Beyond, Beyond Gorilla did, which showed the back of Liger's head after his last UK performance. Hell of a photo. But I'm kind of disappointed that was released because if, if that wasn't released, we could say that it was Lionel Richie yeah. under the mask for years. Well, all we got to do is start the rumour that Lionel Richie's hair is actually uh, a wig, wig. And then it'll, like it'll add more credence to it. <laughs> oh, God, let's not go there. Okay, yeah. So, so, I mean, obviously having a good physical and sports background mm-hmm. is a massive help as we know yeah. from the years that we've been teaching if you can come into this having some kind of background to it that helps absolutely but of course the performance side mm. is so much harder and it's oh, the yeah. one thing that people struggle with so much more now one thing that nobody that knows you would ever describe you of is quiet or shrinking violet or, or anything <laughs> did you find the performance element easy to switch to considering that you are a very larger-than-life, colourful, confident person. Um, did you find that was something that you you picked up very easily and organically, or did you struggle with it at first? Um, it was something where it kind of got... Uh, I got told to do it, you know what I mean? And if <laughs> I'm very kind... I think when I'm told to do something, I do it. It was when I started on the holiday camps, it was um, Blondie Barrett who said, you got to show out, or you got to do this. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I just kind of did it from there, but... I, I don't know if it was like when I first started wrestling, I was also a bartender as well. And that's not a job, especially in the, the bar I worked at where if you were kind of, like you said, a shrinking violet, you would get eaten alive. And I yeah, think wrestling just, was very just drowning the sharks. That's it. And and I think wrestling's very much been that as well, especially, you know, the early 2000s badlands of British wrestling, you had to be kind of, it, it was the weird kind of balance of knowing that, okay, I'm, a young lad in my late teens, early twenties, but also I'm, you know, I'm swimming with sharks here. I've got to kind of stand my ground, so to speak, and make enough noise, but also know my place. You know what I mean? There's uh, there's bigger fish in this tank to that I don't want to kind of piss off, but these bigger fish, I also need to kind of make enough noise to scare them away. So it's, yeah. and also kind of the performance aspect of it. Like uh, even now, like I, I love wrestling. I have done for 30 odd years now. But as as good as like the the wrestlers are to me, the performers are what what have stayed. Like they've made that mark on me. You know, I if if I think of professional wrestling, like immediately an image flashes up into my head of Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan. You know, just these larger than life characters. So to me, pro wrestling is larger than life characters. Whereas others, pro wrestling is the likes of uh, Okada, Dean Malenko, whoever it may be. And that's that's kind of my view on it. Like pro wrestling is larger than life characters first and foremost and it's the athletic kind of side not secondary but it's kind of it's within that packaging of mm. larger than life yeah and i think it depends a lot on the uh the the audience you know mm. if you've got wrestling is very niche now but oh yeah the the niche audience that that 
that's that prop it up now they they worry more about the quote-unquote work rate whereas yeah. back in the attitude era um the average person on the street didn't care how many moves Dimalenko knew how good he was they cared about oh my god it's a stunner yeah and and i'm not not saying either one's right or wrong but it's context you know, I'd say. It, it's context absolutely and you well, I think we've. I was saying this to Hustle Malone yesterday, and by, by the way, a little plug for Hustle Malone. Check out Hustle Malone's podcast, Show Day. Oh, um, excellent! I've been a two-time guest. Two-time, two-time. Two-time. Um, fantastic podcast. Uh, Hustle's fantastic. He's got um, so much charisma. Uh, the and the progress just, commentary gig with him and Crowley is is going to be. It's going to be must-listen stuff. Even if yeah. uh, you know, even if they're prepping for the matches, just not talking about what they've been eating for breakfast it's gonna yeah. be good she's on toast <laughs> but you check check out his podcast yeah, um, Huss, Huss is an fantastic awesome but yeah going back to what we were saying um the the, the character side it's the one thing that most people struggle to get yeah. the most but it's it's what you remember as a fan yeah, and that's it like i've always said like when when uh you watch a wrestling show especially I, i'll be honest like the show's like UBW and what I've kind of made my career out of, career in inverted commas, it's always been shows where I think, okay, this audience probably don't know who this wrestler is because they've seen the poster wrestling and the kids have gone, mom, dad, can we go see wrestling? And go, yeah. So when you're out there, you've got to do something, wear something, say something, do something which makes them stand out. And, you know, if you are somebody who's an incredible athlete, that'll make you stand out. However, I'm not like... I'd like to say it, so I'm a pretty decent athlete, but I'm not a, a, a Matt Seidel, John Morrison level athlete who's just this incredible like superhero who can do anything physically. So I needed to be larger than life to stand out. And that's where kind of, you know, I come through the curtain, you know, full of fire. And then people go, oh, oh, there's a big guy there making a lot of noise. I'll pay attention to him. And oh, I like him. And that's pretty much what I've attempted to do throughout wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk to the kids at shows, mainly because I'm trying to persuade them to get their mum to spend three quid on an in-ring photo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I talk to the kids and, you know, who, who, what wrestlers do you like? And uh, who's your favourite wrestler in the world? And who do you like here? And it's Roman Reigns, John Cena. Mm. Um, they never say Finn Balor. They might say The Demon. They might say Bray Wyatt. They won't say, uh, well, they say The Fiend, not Bray Wyatt. It's the characters. And we have, as an audience, for the most part, family audiences yeah very casual audiences like yeah, and kids like the characters and the parents they dragged along but they want something that they can they can best survive the couple of hours they're there and yeah they, if they're not wrestling fans they don't care but if there's some like clarence is a great example mm. they connect with clarence because you look at clarence they go that guy he's funny he's he's colorful they they click with you because they're like, wow, that guy, look at the color, look at the size. He's just interacting with the fans. Mm-hmm. And and that's what they click with. And well, I remember uh, like a, probably the, the grandest example of that. I, I went to a WWE show 2008 sort of time. And uh, that was a hilarious journey trying to get up there as well. But uh, I went, uh, we got free tickets out there. It was myself and, uh, myself and a mate. And we, we got there. And half the audience was kids and disinterested parents and then there was you know a bunch of nerds like us and uh i had the excuse i wasn't a nerd i'm a wrestler i'm cool but um you keep telling yourself that i've been trying i've been trying for (laughs) so long and i nearly believe it but when uh throughout the show like there's a lot of um the parents couldn't care less like they were watching in it and it was like i don't care and it was it was a hell of a roster if you look back like 2008 there was a, a very young mm. McIntyre Finley was on there so for like wrestling fans you're like wow this is a 
a cool roster. I think Regal and Taylor were even on the show as well. And it was, it was stacked. And then when Teddy Long came out and said, oh, uh, I think Jamie Noble was doing a promo, and Teddy Long came out and went, player, you're going one-on-one with The Undertaker. Everyone in the building stood up. Like, uh-huh. The Undertaker is the epitome of a character wrestler, quote-unquote. Like, it's, it, it seems like a, a box to put someone in. But The Undertaker is the ultimate character in pro wrestling. There will probably not be a stronger, more long-lasting, more impact-making character because... And and that that really resonated with me that day. That even all the disinterested parents who were kind of half looking at their phone, kind of scratching their heads all throughout it, going, "Oh, this is rubbish." The Undertaker comes out and just has this unbelievable presence. And that is pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know going hold for hold, move for move. It's just this presence and just this kind of like star factor, which mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't teach, you can't make, you can't kind of point someone to. It's just this perfect form that comes organically, like, and that that really kind of blew my mind that day. Mm. And I think that's that's the difference between somebody being um, a footnote in wrestling history mm. and being a headline in wrestling history. I always say anyone can make um, history, but only a few people can make memories. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's the really important factor for me. Um, and anyone can have a list of things that they've done and achievements. But having a legacy is a very different thing. Absolutely. And you have to have more than just just um, skill at your um, technique. Yes. To be to be that extra level, to be that, that legendary status. That's it. It's it's you've you've got to have like such a, a great a great mixture of different yeah. attributes in wrestling. And wrestling, you know, I, I can't remember who did it, but um there's the whole thing wrestling isn't wrestling a few years back. There's that whole series and it's it's fascinating when you actually break down like what wrestling is and you know stunt um, grannies yeah stunt grannies i mean look at uh look at crowley for example his kind of acting background and his yeah. kind of understanding of things is what's set him apart and i'm sure he yeah. won't mind me saying he's not the quote-unquote best technical wrestler he's worked his ass off to get better as a wrestler however his presence presentation and performance is what's made everyone go yeah holy shit, this guy's a little bit special. It's not his, like, he's, he's a hell of a wrestler. Like, the, the match I had with him was probably the most enjoyable match I've had in a long, long time. Him and CJ Carter are probably the two opponents that I've had matches with in recent years that I thought, man, that was good. Mm. I, I was feeling that. I was in that. And as I was saying, Crowley's not a, a terrible wrestler, but he's an incredible, incredible uh, presentation of his character. And the fact that he's working his socks off to get better in ring, just he's going to go to the moon. Well, I was, I was saying this too, Crowley, and I think to a degree to Bobby as well. Um, I, I'm of the mindset of put people out there as soon as you can if they've got that that intangible it factor. Mm. And they'll learn the job on the job because you can learn the techniques. You can learn the crispness. You can learn the execution of wrestling as you go along. It's repetition. Mm. You you learn the mechanics of it, but you cannot learn the character and the entertainment side. If you've got that, if you've got that naturally, you, you, you will quickly, you will, you will evolve and you will grow and improve better learning the job of the the, the physical side while you're performing than learning the performance while you're doing the physical side. It's just tried and tested. Um, and I've done that with a lot of people and with Crowley as well. You know, it, yeah, it took him, well, I mean, how long was it? Less than six months and we had him on shows? I think he just so, had yeah. that something. But 
But I, I, as I said to Crowley as well, I always take the Paul Heyman approach of hide people's weaknesses and exploit their strengths. Mm. If somebody's a great performer and a great uh, personality, get them out there, but get them in matches and get them in situations where they can show that. And you're not going to have to say, I hey, do 25 minutes of the best back and forth Dean Malenko, Jerry Lynn performance you can imagine. Mm. Cause it's not going to work. And at the same time, if there's someone who's a great technician, don't put them in there with someone who's got so much character that's going to swallow them up. Yeah. Or someone that's going to, on the flip side, have no character and going to rely Rape upon them. them. Um, and in a, an example, and, and I'm saying this guy's now, I'm not burying him by saying this, but I'll by bury no means. People. Do we get to get to bury people? <laughs> you don't bury them. I have got a laundry but, list of people where I just like drop C bombs. Like, oh, I can, yeah, like we're going to avoid that. Oh, damn it. But no Zach Sabre Jr., yeah. Zach Sabre Jr., in his earliest days, and now, Zach Sabre Jr., unbelievable talent. Mm. And in his earliest days, still mechanically, physically, uh, technically, incredible. Yeah. Didn't have a ton of presence. And I was working him for a show, and I was doing very much kind of campsite. Mm. Come on, kids, shall I? Do you want to see me punch him in the face? Do you want to see me hit him in the ass? Because I was working villain that day. But he wasn't giving it back. Yeah. Because he didn't know that. He hadn't been taught that. So I was doing pretty much his stuff for him. So I would be doing stuff like, ah, oh, this guy's never going to get up. Yeah. Oh, don't you cheer for him? All that kind of stuff. And I'm like, geez, bro, it's come on, come back. you do that because I've had that so many times yeah. as well. But that's like, not to knock Zach. No. Yeah, but that's not to knock Zach. He's, his talent speaks for itself. But this is the thing. If, 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 if I hadn't had that presence to be that larger than life, we both would have died on the spot. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm... And by no means am I comparing myself to Zack Sabre Jr. here. He's <laughs> one of, if not the biggest exports yeah. outside the of the UK. Yeah. Just, and, and he's, like I say, his legacy speaks for itself. He is, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt, the most talented technical wrestler in the world. But obviously there was a time where he didn't, I mean, he's got tons of charisma now. Mm. He didn't have it about then. finding your feet, finding what you're doing, you know. And that, mm. that Japanese style of the interview and things where he's got that chance to kind of, <laughs> Like his his post match interviews, which I love. Like I I love anything as as big a character as Skip is, as yeah. you know, larger than life as brother, 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 as Neon and Tassels and Columbia Marching Powder Sunset Skip is. I love a sports presentation with wrestling. <laughs> Hold on one sec. Redacted. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I thought it was uh, it was subtle enough, but <laughs> as subtle I, as, a, as a bomb in the face. Carry me, on. That's subtle. <laughs> uh, 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 sorry, I just kind of chew on this hand grenade. <laughs> yeah. on, carry on. Did you? Sorry, that's a, a memory <laughs> that you might remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I love that real sports presentation because wrestling at its core, we are still trying to present it as a sport. So I love the idea of a post-match interview. Like uh back in the day when they'd have like you'd be interviewing somebody uh getting out of the ring. And we we did that briefly in UBW, but um it's one of those things that just having someone available to do it. None, kind of, of, none of us had the cardio to do it was the problem. No, that's it. I think I did it once, and I think you asked me a question. And I just looked at you and went, I'm going to punch him, and then just walked off. Because <laughs> I think I, I think I'd done like 25 minutes with uh, with somebody that was a bit of a shift. So um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that you, you've got to be you've got to have the tank for that because mm. I've seen it before, where people do these post match interviews. 
And you know, <laughs> we, we have a small venue. Yeah. We can't afford to suffocate everyone by sucking the air out of the building <laughs> because somebody else's can't breathe. And in, in some of the matches, oh, no, I won't finish that sentence. That's very okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, that's, that's, uh, let's, let's leave that one alone. So anyway, moving on. Okay, so we've, we've covered the early days. Um, yeah. Now, when you first went along, Dropkicks was your first first wrestling school, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now, I think, although I do think I popped into the FWA one once or twice because yourself and RJ Singh uh, and Kid Regis all seem to remember me being there, but it was it, it may have been once or twice, but yeah, by and large, Dropkicks was the first home. C- CTE gives you false memories, so don't worry too much about that. Don't. don't. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, when we, and I say we, me and Phil, when we first got to Dropkicks because we'd moved on from the FWA, uh, I remember walking in and this young bright-eyed tall beaker looking son of a bitch yep. standing there looking around going oh wow it's paul phil from the fwa yeah and we we clicked with you very very early on uh, yeah. because one we could see the drive and determination in you we could see that you had all this fire or this excitement and three you were up for taking our moves <laughs> so we loved you i took everything back in the day <laughs> I've had this idea of something we saw on ECW. You want to try it? Who can we do? I'll do it. Come on in, Rich. Um, <laughs> but the best thing is, like, I it's not like you get some trainees today, and there's there's always going to be your uh, your human tackling dummy. And can I borrow you bless- for a second, Nick? Yeah, come in, Nick. <laughs> but <laughs> shout out to Nick. <laughs> yeah, big shout out. To- Nick's awesome. Like, I he's I am great. desperate to wrestle Nick. Like, he's uh, going back to what we were saying about personality coming out and coming out and coming out. Like Nick's always been mechanically very good because he's, I think he's mm-hmm. a bit like me. He's a bit of a wrestling encyclopedia where he just knows so much because he's passionate about it. And now as, as Ricky Calvey, he's really starting to kind of fall into that gimmick and get confidence you, with you it. You talk about like finding your your slot, finding your niche, finding yourself. And it's not what you would have thought no. he is like compared no. to his real life persona. Like, you know, the, the old cliche in wrestling has been yourself turned up to 11. That is not him at all. Like, no. you thought this would be the ultimate nightmare for him going, hey, really nice, calm, quiet guy, have a really outlandish character. You would have thought that would be hell on earth for him. That's but, that's why I don't, I don't subscribe to the yourself up to 11. I subscribe and do the opposite because it forces you out of your comfort zone. Some people kind of, it's a sink or swim for sure. And mm. he's, he's, you know, swam like uh, Michael Phelps in it. Yeah, so for, so for a second, you, you you mentioned Michael Phelps, and my mind went to um, uh, uh, Oscar Pistorius, and I was like, let's not mention no, that one. No, no, <laughs> let's no, not no, go no, there. No. So, rapidly moving on. Yes, where were we? Yeah. Can I borrow you? Yeah, <laughs> so can I borrow you? Um, yeah, you were up for taking everything. You were yeah. up for trying everything. And, you know, looking back, maybe that's some of the answers as to why it's called some of the damage to your, to your psyche or those head drops but nonetheless um and why i've got a 20 inch neck <laughs> yeah it's just calloused over years but <laughs> yeah you you were there to help and, and we wanted to give that back and wanted to help train you because mm. you on a physical level you didn't have the dexterity or the grace that say a technical wrestler would have no i'm gonna put this nicely you didn't so much have two left feet. You had two club left feet. <laughs> but I've never been the most grateful. No, but we both saw that and went, that doesn't matter. We can learn him around that. We can teach him around. Oh, we that. can and we, learn we him did. good. We can learn him good. We can do him the learn. <laughs> but you did because you had the, the, the drive. And, and it was Absolutely. it was joyous to see you growing along with it. And, of course, Absolutely. your first gimmick, um, thanks to Frank, 
was rich and famous. Yep. Because Frank did love a pun. He did. Um, and rich and famous. I mean, bear in mind, you got onto the camps really early. I did. Very Some people, early. 10, 15 years on, still can't get onto the camps. And I got it. It was like my second, third match in. Yeah. It was. And uh, working with Blondie. It's an unbelievable yeah. opportunity. Kidd. Blondie and Barrett Kidd. and Johnny Kidd. Like, even then, I realized what a big deal. Because I've always been like a real wrestling nerd. Like, I, even now, I know. Uh, if it's worth knowing, I know about it. Does that make sense? You're, yeah, no, you're like you're like a rain man of wrestling. Because I'll be like, oh, do you remember that match that Mr. Perfect had with Barry Horowitz? And he'll be like, when he was wearing a yellow singlet and he only had two laces done up. Oh, my God, it was amazing. I noticed these weird small details. But saying that on the flip side, I cannot remember the name of any show I've ever done. It's always like the town and yeah, maybe funny, who I wrestled. Like, I, I never remember that I've wrestled at, you know, Ass Punch 2014 or, you know, I don't know. I don't I'm writing know. that down as a show name. I've, I've, the uh, the cage match I had with Cruz, I did an ass punch, and that was Hustle Malone's favorite thing he's ever seen in wrestling. But <laughs> yeah, I, on a side note, I hate wrestling show names as well. So that's probably why I just tune out of them. And I'm like, yeah, when I was in Sheffield, to like November 2009, like it was that's what I remember rather than kind of Headbutterama 2014. <laughs> Again, writing that one down. Yeah, man, do it. <laughs> so yeah, so like, so first off, like the physical side wasn't the thing for you initially, but the character mm. side was, and you getting on the camps was uh, was the epitome of learning on the job. Oh geez, yeah. And we all kind of we did our did our stint at Drop Kicks, mm. um, and then things changed there. We all moved on from there. You and I were teaching in London for a while, yep. um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to a certain memory from that in a second. Um, <laughs> And then we kind of drifted around for a few years. We were both doing our own things yep. on, on different places. Um, and then fast forward, we get to UBW. But going back to our time in London, mm. um, and I, I was thinking about this this morning, and I, and I really wanted to bring this across. We've got so many stories from that place. <laughs> yeah. So in many course. stories, good in and bad. Yeah. But one that sprung to mind, and, and I wanted to mention this story because I wanted to pay tribute to this individual. Um, <laughs> so me and Rich, um, while teaching there, we we were very close to all the trainees because they were kind of doing their time as well there. Yeah, it was it was, and, it was a, yeah, a call of duty for sure. It was. And one young one young lad, um he was a fantastic young lad, um, had all the all the exuberance of a young puppy in the world, um, Owen Davies. Um Owen did his time in in in, in wrestling for a while, moved on from there, grew a massive beard put some size on became somehow grew about three feet taller and was just this big sons of anarchy looking rocking metal son of a bitch Uh, just amazing guy and i I kept in contact with him for years after wrestling because he's just such a good guy Mm. very sadly owen passed away a year or two ago um and he was in his early 30s he uh he was ill for a while and no no age at all and he developed sepsis and it took him very quickly and it, it hit me and you very hard because it's, yeah. it's very sobering when someone that you've almost treated like a child like an offspring and is also that much younger uh is taken it's it's very sobering so but, too. exactly um but you know owen was was just a, such a, a wonderful always happy always positive full of life guy but there was a, an amazing moment, and I'm, I'm going to recount this as a, as a tribute to him. So I'll, I'll lay the groundwork, and you tell the story. Okay. So we're doing training matches one day, and 
So, okay. So we're going to put Owen, you're going to go in with Big Andy. Now, Big Andy was this big 350, 360 pound ginger monolith. Um, he went and worked for WAW, didn't he? I can't remember his name there. Judas? Um, Judas. What's he? He with the facts. Big, big monster. He kind of like, like, like Vader. Yeah. And. Okay, so you're going to do a, a, a simple kind was, of... I want to say it was a tag. I want to say it was Owen and Marco as a magic circle, and I want to say it was uh, a, a guy we, we dubbed Bono as a... Uh, it may have been. Tag. I've, I've got a funny feeling it was a tag. Hey, I'm, I'm going to pass over to your um, Rain Man style <laughs> no, get, now. That's fine. <laughs> I'll get you but, trying to do it. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll <laughs> but, yeah, so this match is on, and we said, okay... Well, simple psychology, just think Shawn Michaels and Vader, think Sting and Vader, you know, just do that kind of stuff. Um, and we're going to come down to it. Owen, you and uh, you and Andy in there. And at this point, I'd suggest to Andy, because of his size, he used the old A-train derailer, the old mm, up over the shoulder, move. drop to your knees, jot it back, down they go. Fine. Boom, practiced it. It's fine. Great. <laughs> now we get to the point in the match <laughs> and <laughs> take it away. So, you know, as people who listen to this know, uh, if they're a wrestler or if they've trained as well, training a, a, to do a move a few times, like you can nail it four, five, six times. But at the end of like a however long match is, and I don't think it was overly long, probably 10 minutes or so, yeah. we gave him a decent period of time. But wrestling's the most bizarrely knackering thing you'll ever do. So with that in mind, Big Andy hooks Owen up for the, <laughs> for the derailleur. And could only do what could be described as so instead of like drop what he dropped to his knees i think but i think as he did where they were both a bit blown owen didn't hold himself and he didn't kind of keep himself straight he dropped him forward rather than to the side dropped to his knees and just (laughs) lawn darted owen in the back of his head (laughs) neck and shoulders he folded him up like i'm talking like completely crumpled him i didn't realize that there was this is going to be a good word it's probably the wrong one i didn't realize there was a fulcrum in the neck for the body to bend that way so I, th- I think he pins him i think it was the fastest count ever you might have even been the referee or we were stood next no to no we were standing at ringside watching on in <laughs> in, in awe had, i think we had an out of body uh experience <laughs> at that point which happens so often in that place it's like, i remember you, you know like as a, as a romantic thing you kiss the back of somebody's neck yes yeah i wouldn't kiss the back of his own <laughs> <laughs> via his anus <laughs> yeah so carry on, please. Like, folded. So after that, <laughs> I think I kind of I need unfolded a minute, carry him on. out of the ring. And I think myself, I think Andy, his opponent that day, and a couple of others kind of carried this poor guy, dragged him. No, 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 no. No, you're missing the key part. Oh, no, no, I guess You're, mi- you're I missing the key, the finish of the move. Oh, yes. Yeah, so go on. So he's folded him. <laughs> Owen's kind of gone <laughs> like a zombie up to his knees. We've both looked over, and I've just looked at him and shook my head. I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and Owen's looked over to us, shook his head like, no, I could carry on. Owen, just stop. You've been spiked. And he said the immortal words, the immortal words of... I know my body. <laughs> and, and what was meant to follow this was Andy's spear. Yes. Andy's looked at me for approval of, like almost like in Gladiator with a thumbs down. He's looked at me, and I've gone... I shook my arms and like shrunk my shoulders and gone. He says okay. So Andy's gone okay. Folded him and then like like Rhino on crack has speared him so hard. Owen has inverted on himself onto the. I didn't think it was possible to land on the crown of your head, but he did. <laughs> and and on he the just went. Feet. 
Yeah, and it's like, just kind of folded. And then, and then that was a finish. And, and the then, and then is, it goes to the next bit. Carry on. So we drag him out of the ring, and, you know, it's just limp legs. Like, <laughs> mate, like are you all right? You're like know, a sack of spuds. Give him the old ing, give him a little slap on the face, splash into water. I'm like, right, I'll take him to the, uh, take him to the uh, changing room and just see if I can, you know, preserve life a little longer. And there, and I've never seen somebody what can only be described as dry heave their organs out. <laughs> and I said like that I know my body line earlier, and I, I want to say he did that like out back as well. I'm like, oh, are you you're right, mate? Can you can you walk? And he's like, I know my body, and just. Heaved. What, I swear to God, he dry heaved for like a half a minute of just like organs trying to escape his body. You know, the healthy parts of him are still trying to escape. The living parts are leaving the shell behind. Like, no. Ah! Oh, my God. It I was... remember a few minutes afterwards kind of walking in to check on him. Because I, was, I was thinking like, oh, I better check him for the insurance policy. Yeah, I kind of wandered into the changing on. room. And he was there hunched over and people was just holding onto his back. And I'm like, Owen, it was like call run-ins. I was like, Owen, you're dead, man. And he just looks up and he was literally smiling on his face. He just went, I'm good. Okay. I've turned around. I've got half a step and I've heard, Brah! he just put a brave face on for me. And just wandered right. back in and everyone was like, is he okay? And I went, I don't think okay is the right word, but we'll see how the day goes on from here. Oh, it I was think, so yeah. funny. Honest, to this day, it's still one of the funniest things ever. Absolutely. And he was fine afterwards. Obviously, oh yeah, he was. He was. He was knocked silly. Yeah, but, like oh. I don't think he was even, you know, like knocked silly in the, you know, concussion concussion center things. I just no. think it was a, a heavy old bump that oh, yeah. the body sometimes goes. No, don't like this. What am I doing? Oh, God, it was so funny. It was so funny. But yeah, Owen, tremendous character. Yeah, I miss that guy so much. But. Power. What you know, I, I said to you before about leaving a legacy, uh, moments that was that was Owen's moment, it was just Absolutely. unbelievable. <laughs> Speaking of, of, <laughs> of that kind of stuff, in between that and UBW, you were teaching in Milton Keynes for a while. I was, yeah, uh, a very, very quick little story because I, I want these podcasts to be about more <laughs> than dragon? just wrestling. What blue dragon? <laughs> we'll cover blue dragon, <laughs> we'll cover that in a minute. No, I'm talking about the, the day at training <laughs> with Kid Regis in your head. <laughs> with that kick oh, oh man See, no, I didn't even think about that story. no 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 we were talking about I remember his out of body experience we've got to talk about that one so it was uh, I think yeah myself Kid Regis and uh, and, and, and Cruz we'd been there for a while like we, we just went up on a Sunday and like we taught whoever turned up but most of the time it was invaluable time for us to kind of do our own thing. Then there was that time I turned up to yeah. one bumble bed. Why is this ring? <laughs> that ring was murderous. <laughs> and the best thing was the ring before that was somehow even worse. <laughs> so uh, several weeks later, I'll get to the main story. Several weeks later, we spent the entire day coming off the top rope. Like this ring, I've never seen anything formed like it. Like I've been in hundreds of rings over the years. This one had like three great big V-shaped I don't know how to describe it. I'm not much of an engineer. V-shaped kind of struts underneath that made this thing like impenetrable to any force. Like all other rings they've got, you know, they kind of embrace impact. This one just goes, no. I think it was inspired by the medieval torture devices. It was you know, like the original so torture rack. We had the idea. I wonder if we could shift one of these beams. So we got three crash mats stacked on top of each other. And I was a lot lighter then. Um, but even so, I was still still a big dude. 
So the three of us spent the entire day coming off the top rope, trying to trying to break this ring, and we managed it. And it went from being unbearable to like tolerable. But another time, you guys came down. The story you were saying about um, myself and Kid Regis, uh, we were just doing a bit in the ring, and I think um, I remember ducking down for something, and he came steaming in with a knee to my temple, and then there was a flash, and then. I remember giggling on the floor. <laughs> in the interim, I'll let you take over. <laughs> so I'm at ringside, and it was the old, uh, I think it was the old ducker backdrop spot, maybe. Something like that. And he's just decided to uh, to channel Johnny Wilkinson and just punted you in the <laughs> head as hard as, it, as hard as imaginable. <laughs> and the, what was funny was, was the noise. Because it sounded like... Um, Oh, you ever thrown a wet towel on the ground? <laughs> <laughs> that was brain hitting skull, no doubt. It was just that kind of noise. And it was just this kind of like, sound. <laughs> and, and I looked, it's not, uh, and I've been around long enough. Immediately, I was like, oh, I bet you felt that one. And you just kind of stood up and went, huh. <laughs> and it just carried on going. And then you finished. And I say you finished. It was very shortly after you fell over and it was like, that's enough. Yeah. But then you got out of the ring. And I remember saying to you, mate, are you okay? What? <laughs> are you okay? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Right. Your, your eyes are rolling like like a like a slot machine uh, in your uh, in your head. They, they, I can. I'm going to get three sevens any second. Are you? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Just a bit rocked. Okay. I don't think you should drive home. I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm okay. I, I, I'm 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 good. Yeah, okay. You've just walked into a wall, but are you no, I'm no, fine. And <laughs> you were just I was and I remember having a conversation with you about something. I can't remember what it was now, but I spoke for like two minutes straight at you, and you just looked at me the whole time. And as I finished, you just looked at me and went <laughs> <laughs> and just started laughing at me. Just and I went, no, no, mate, seriously, are you okay? And you went <laughs> giggling at me like some kind of idiot. I'm like, okay, this is a yeah. great one concussion straight up. That's it. And then I still drove home. I have no memory of driving home that no, day. That's the thing, because like, we couldn't do anything other than let you drive. No, And I remember it. checking with you. like, message me as soon as you get home. Speak to me as soon as you get home. Gave you the mummy text. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you were just like, yeah, I made it home. How was the journey? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos and devastation, but I'm all right. Just unbelievable. And. And I want to do a very, very quick story on, on this and we're going to move on because, you know, we've got so much to cover. But mentioning Regis. Yeah. Can you please quickly for the listeners tell the story of Regis in the boot of your car? <laughs> <laughs> so we were up on the camp. So I got uh, Regis on with, with me. So me, him and another mate of ours, we were uh, all traveling up together. And this is up in Yarmouth. And <laughs> we we learned that day that we couldn't leave Regis alone in the back of the car like a naughty child because he would do something. So one week he was there going, oh, I fixed your window, mate. It wasn't broken. <laughs> Long that same journey. I fixed your door, mate. It wasn't broken. But anyway, another journey. We're kind of driving along and he goes quiet in the back seat. And of course, we you know didn't notice because suddenly he's gone quiet. And then we turn around and he's managed to He's got some tape out of someone's bag or his bag and he's taped up his mouth 
And then he's hogtied himself, which is no mean feat. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Yeah, God knows, it's Regis. Like that—that that is the uh, the definition of of. Re- I love him. Like, but the amount of stories I've said, it's Regis. It's it's unreal. That's just his entire like definition is it's Regis. <laughs> so we're driving along and we stop in uh, in traffic and it's on a, a busy dual carriageway and we're just kind of caught up in traffic and we just hear this muffled this muffled scream appear from the back seat. And of course, he's hogtied, like flailing up and down. He's an athletic guy, so he could kind of get some some uh, some height. Flailing around, all of these people in cars are starting to turn around and look at us. Semi naked too. Yes, taking off his clothes off. So of course, me and me and my mate in the front, we're like, "Stop that!" So just swinging punches at him. Two people in the front trying to punch the crap out of some dude who's hogtied in the back seat of a car. <laughs> How we didn't get pulled over is oh. is nothing short of. Just a miracle. Just amazing. That's one of my favourite stories of Regis. And, and Regis was an enigma in so many ways. But... Such a great dude. But moving on rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this, so... this podcast, we could do like 52 parts at this rate. Oh, definitely. So we got on to 2013. Yes. Um, at this big point, jump forward. Big jump forward. I'd moved to Hitchin. Yes. Um, and you and a couple of other people were training... Um, it was in Hitchin as well, wasn't it? Obviously, yes, Brooks Gym. Yeah, and you were, were running lessons there. And mm. I, I must admit, at this point, for various reasons, I had really fallen out of love with wrestling. And I was pretty much determined that I was done. But uh, you had mentioned about coming along and teaching a bit and helping out. Mm. Okay, I don't mind. I'll, I'll give it a go. And there was talk at the time of, oh, yeah, there's this, this guy that's training with us and uh, he's starting up a company. You know, oh, God, not another one of these. Because <laughs> over the years, we've seen so many people. Oh, hundreds. I'm going to start my own wrestling so company. Much. We're going we're gonna to take over the world. And it's we, like, we're going to pay you this much and we're going to have TV and oh, great pay. Job. What's pay? Yeah. yeah, but two shows later on, they're done. And <laughs> yeah. you've seen that so many years. That's two shows at most. Yeah. And that's why I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I was working a show uh, in Hitchin and met Justin that night. And mm. he told me his ideas. And I met Alex Knowles as well and told me the ideas about it. And, uh, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay, this sounds like something we could do. Uh, and that was the genesis and birth of UBW and UBW training, Yep. Uh, which, of course, has, has gone on from there. But what? how did that come about with you? I mean, how did you get to the point of, oh, we're going to start teaching, we're going to start running classes? It was just kind of I, I wanted to do it i, I thought okay like I, i'm gonna preface this and say i do not know absolutely everything about wrestling i am not the greatest coach in the world but i like to think i'm a pretty decent coach and after at that point i'd done a bit of coaching uh supporting you i'd done the stuff in milton Keynes, which was kind of more me honing my own craft independently and i thought you know what? i've got plenty to pass on and if there's interest because there are a few people who uh from the schools that we'd kind of taught at beforehand were messaging me going, oh, there's, you know, if there's anything local, let me know. And thought, you know what, let's do it. Let's give it a whirl. So I thought, okay, I've got nothing to lose. Let's open it up. And it it kind of went from uh, strength to strength. We had some really kind of good guys. I found there, the pictures actually of one of the early, early sessions where Johnny Kidd visited. And I think the thing that was before you joined and we had mm. like the guys who were uh, on board that day, there was uh, Ricky, who went on to be uh, Tommy Nova, one of the yep. early UBW champions. Hammer, who's one of the most incredibly terrifying and best people I've ever met. <laughs> Sween. Uh, there was um, Michael Hunt, who uh, can do tricks. And there was a couple of others as well. Like So we had like quite a good little core group come through initially. And then 
like I said, that kind of Justin came on board and there was another guy at the time who he and Justin were bouncing the ideas off UBW together. And then I think you joined and then Alex uh, came on board, wanted to be a wrestler, decided no chance for that and became <laughs> an outstanding referee. And, you know, Alex is the greatest person ever. And then that kind of all launched what we now know as UBW. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because at the time I was just kind of getting involved to help out and thought, oh, you know what, if yeah, I could do a couple more shows and, and I'll jack it in. Uh, but obviously it took off from there. And, you know, everyone needs to remember that, that the genesis of everything that created UBW starting off was down to you and Cruz. Um, and it was the work that you put in at the beginning that offered the opportunity to start that off. Um, and it's grown from there. And it's, yeah, it's it's a hell of a legacy when you think about when we started off with this yeah. tiny little, tiny little school, this tiny little classes and no real structure to people. it. Yeah, yeah, and, then, and, and where it's know, gone to from there. Built more structure, and yeah. you know, I was, I was talking with uh, with uh, with Nick again. Another shout out to Nick um, about he was saying, "Oh, could he do some sessions with me when things are back to normal?" Like, Absolutely, man. Like Justin mentioned as well. Shout out to Justin for setting up the Square One Academy, which is the you know the, where it's grown to now. So amazing work from him. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back involved with a bit of coaching because I haven't done it since being back in, in the country that much, maybe one or two sessions, whereas beforehand it was pretty much without fail every Sunday, myself, you and Darren would be there. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to kind of getting back involved with that a little more. And that's a good little segue there. I'm glad you mentioned that because we've got to, we've got to talk about it. Um, the day that you went from being uh, part of the infrastructure of british wrestling to be an international star absolutely you uh doubled my rate that did yeah well yeah up up to 15 quid two hot Um, dogs and two handshakes uh moving out for a few years and going and living and working in dubai Dubai. you you, you'd upset me you didn't end up with a part share on a golf course but i think if i stayed there much longer i'd have ended up with either keys to the city uh full-on waster from a shake or kind of being in prison <laughs> well yeah was... we would we we took bets when you went away as how long it was going to be before you were locked up and my sister it was said amazing. what's called an inadmissible passenger which is yeah. when uh you're on the plane and they go no no sir we'll move around you and we'll get this thing turned yeah. around yeah we all expected that but talk us through a bit about that i mean obviously it's a big culture change enormous yeah. culture change everything that you know as a day-to-day basis in life is different yeah working week is different working hours working directive is different where you yep. live how you shop everything is different it's a completely mm. flipped around kind of culture there absolutely take us through a bit around the time you were there and 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 some of the experiences because you've got some stories about things that happened while oh, you were there amazing i, I crammed a take lifetime of, ex- of experiences into the two and a bit years i was there and uh, so, yeah, I ended up going out there summer 2015, just needed a, a big change personally and professionally. So I head out there. And uh, one of the funniest things, I remember talking to somebody at the job I left to, to head out there, the, the shoot job, pew, pew, got to pay the bills, brother. And uh, I remember saying, man, I hope I find a barber that's decent. And then fast forward, I end up shaving my head because uh, the, the hair was fast becoming a myth. So I moved out there and it was, like I said, just the, the huge change in culture. I I loved it out there. I'll, I'll start by saying that. Off, like I, I want to move out there again with my family now. You know, uh, sunset skips a family man, brother, and um, it was just absolutely incredible. Like the lifestyle was so good. Like my uh, day job, I didn't have to pay tax. I uh, got a fully furnished apartment as part of my part of my golden handshake deal, 
and it was just it was incredible like i i've said to you and to all of our friends that i mean i you're probably sick of me banging on about how good it is out there because you just see dubai as being this this place where all of these z-list knobs go on holiday at the minute but to me it was this place which just rapidly became my home like the expat community is this absolutely amazing like open bubble where you it's full of people who are like-minded they might be different professions but the amount of people that I met out there who you all are of a similar mindset first off the bat because you're thinking okay I'm willing to up sticks and move halfway across the world to this completely different place which you know it's it's somewhat like a like a film set out there you know there's there isn't an awful lot of history because the Emirates became a country in the, the the early 1970s before that it was a group of independent states it's not like it just grew out of the land in in the 70s but it's a very very young country and of course there's a huge culture shock with you know the country being rooted in Islam but there being such a huge um, community of people from all over the world so it's just this incredible melting pot of kind of the traditional sense of things like uh, I visited a lot of the mosques and a lot of the forts at Al Hassan and things like that and it's it is just this incredible place and then of course there's the wrestling side of things where at the time it was a fledgling um one single fledgling wrestling organization which you know we had some really cool opportunities come up there um which I'll, I'll go into in a little bit so just the whole kind of making waves and up in sticks and going out there it, it was it was a huge deal yeah and like i mentioned to bobby it's it's difficult to move to somewhere with such a different culture and to live there because it's a, you, you, we are creatures of habit and we get used to our daily routines mm. and it's very hard and shifting a culture to not only adapt to it but to survive in it it's a big yeah. thing um, i remember speaking to you one day and you said oh, I'm, I'm working today like, what do you mean you're working it's saturday oh yeah we don't work fridays here in dubai because it's a religious day yeah day of prayer isn't it yeah things like that and just how everything you have to be so careful of what you say and do and everything's so different. So I think to, to, to live in that environment is incredible to actually to do it for any period of time. And you were there for a couple of years and yeah, yeah, I, I fully see you moving out there long term. Yeah. Um, I think it's, that's, it's that's where your future boss. lies. Yeah. If not, uh, if not the Middle East, certainly kind of elsewhere again, because I yeah. think once, once you get kind of a taste of having lived elsewhere, mm. it's very much one of two things. You're either like, no, no, like you said, creature habit, I'm going to head home. Or you're like, you know what? I want to see the rest of the world. Like I've got a, I've got a young son now for listeners who don't know. If, if you know me personally, it's all I talk about. But um, I want him to, to see the world. I don't want his mm. whole entire world to be where we live now because I've got the opportunity with my, with my day job to see the world, to show him different things. So for me, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer to go, all right, let's – if I have the opportunity, let's move back to Dubai. Let's go to Hong Kong. Let's go to wherever, maybe for a couple of years at a, at a time. But let's see the world, and you know, let's not just have your whole whole uh, whole mm. world view being North London. There's also there's there's a there's a certain attraction in um, not having ten months of winter where you live. One hundred percent. Although there was a funny story. I uh, my where I lived, it was in a like a big complex, and I'm sure I've told you this, but I went over to a friend's apartment, which was five minute walk from where I was and uh, I left theirs and I was like right I'm gonna go for a, a little run because I was a bit fitter then and uh, we had a running track all around our compound so I thought okay great let's, uh, let's do a couple of laps and then I'll go to bed so I left theirs and I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt it's about this sort of time of year mid late January and uh, I left theirs I was like oh I feel a bit chilly I'm gonna run up and get a jumper and I looked at the uh, weather app on my phone and it was 24 degrees and uh, I gave myself a good stern talking to and went no no 
It's 24 <laughs> degrees. If this, if this was England, you would be sweating your bits off. But uh, yeah, it's a very, very quick how acclimatized I got to, uh, to the weather. You do, though, don't you? Yeah. So, yeah, so Dubai. 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 Um, of course, in Dubai with young me. It was a fantastic experience. And I think, <laughs> having known you as long as I, as I have, I think that did wonders for you on a personal level. I think it matures you so much. It grew you as a person. Yeah, like as, as well as like the, the amazing weather, like wrestling presented so many cool opportunities. I mentioned it was very much a fledgling uh, start there. There was a company, uh, it's now kind of morphed into a, a newer company called Wrestling ME, but at the time it was called Dubai Pro Wrestling. Uh, interesting fact, you have to get government permission to name anything after one of the Emirates I learned. Uh, I don't huh. know how true that is, but I thought that was quite a cool little thing. That's why there's now Wrestling ME, and uh, there's this new organization that Steve Linsky's part of, I think, called UWN. But when I was out there with wrestling, like we had so many opportunities presented to us because it's a major untapped market. Like Wrestling's not got any sort of establishment there. They're like WWE have come a couple of times a year at most over the last 10 years, like maybe once a year, maybe less than that. Um, Abu Dhabi, where, where I lived, they uh, had the first uh, women's match with uh, Alexa Bish and uh, Sasha Banks not long after I left. Uh, that was just down the road from where I used to live. But while I was out there, like we did some amazing things from Dubai uh, Pro Wrestling. We, uh, some of the venues we performed at, one was the World Trade Center, and that's a major, uh, what would be the word, kind of hub for entertainment. I saw uh, 30 Seconds to Mars perform there like a week after arriving, which was probably one of the reasons why I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there. My favorite band are playing a week after. It's a good omen. So I performed there countless times. That was where, you know, those great pictures of uh, me and kind of a big group of Filipino uh, people, netball yeah. players, basketball players are. There's that great photo and them going, rich, rich, rich. That's where uh, where that came from, and that great footage that I used for a while there. That uh, all happened at the World Trade Center. So that was incredible. We did something called Dubai Sports World, and we were – I would say us in the basketball were like the featured attraction for the first year. And then the second year there was Ninja Warrior and us were the featured attractions for people to come down. And like during that time, some of the other guys who were available during the day did some coaching. And then we had the the matches in the evenings. It was quite weird because they had like a 9 p.m. start time on a Friday. So that was that was knackering getting <laughs> time of day. Like uh it was and it was about an hour and a half drive from home. So it's not the worst drive in the world. But um We'd have this these matches and it'd be like, oh, you're going to be on last tonight, Rich. Like, oh, man. I mean, the one at like one in the morning and just like there were still people milling around. Like, I think this was almost a 24 hour thing. And it's, it's this, is crazy... like, this is the Power Uti playbook, mate. Oh, don't. I'll, I'll get to I've got something about that <laughs> as well. Uh, so, but um, yeah, I also had like um, we performed at Zero Gravity and it's quite a fun little thing. Like, Zero Gravity is this infamous beach bar. And uh, on the we were there, I want to say on Saturday, I'll have to check, but I, it was the 6th of May regardless. And on the day before, Justin Bieber did an imp impromptu appearance there. Then we then we had our wrestling show there. And then the day after Justin Bieber performed, and the wrestling show was great fun. Like we got looked after so well. I remember like putting out on Twitter and Instagram, which I'm, I'm fairly rubbish at social media and I wish I'd kind of put more stuff out there because I think it would have really kind of raised the presence of myself and definitely right yeah. um i've still got the photos i was just you know hey photo leave that on my phone and never do anything with it but we got looked after so well like we had fruit platters and food stuff like just you know wwe has catering we had like vip catering we had like tables groaning under bottles of water and energy drinks and 
you know tables full of fruit platters and cheese platters and stuff like that You're yeah like, yeah fruit shoots that were actually in date oh mate like we get excited <laughs> if there's a bottle of water backstage in british wrestling that's not half drunk we get excited if there's a chair that's <laughs> we do like so i, I actually uh, tweeted out a picture of me stood in front of um some of the skyscrapers and uh what's seed and dan <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, not. carry that, on. That'll be another story. Oh, but, carry uh, on. <laughs> like, and I, I put the caption, it's no work in men's club. And it was just oh. like, kind of surreal where you're like, okay, wrestling's taken me from. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, man. Like some, from some kind of grotty working men's club up in Sheffield to wrestling in one of the most popular beach bars in Dubai. You're like, okay, this is this is pretty mad. Like, and uh, I, yeah, like I had a really kind of fun match. I had a whole bunch of friends come down. And there's, I've got a hilarious story. I think, you know, it's probably a bit too not safe for the podcast. But at Zero Gravity, there's an infamous um, Perspex-sided swimming pool. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't like where this one's going. <laughs> it's probably going exactly where, you can, where you're oh. imagining. But as I'm in there, like one of my friends that I work with, she thought wrestling was the most amusing funny thing in the world i wouldn't say she was a wrestling fan by any stretch of the imagination she just thought it was mint so she's she's there like she's all excited like her and her other half are there and i roll out of the ring and she's like you'll never guess what happened during your match i'm like what 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 happened she's like two people got thrown out of the swimming pool i was like okay cool why and this is where it probably gets a little bit uh, not safe for work so (laughs) at one point there was a man and a woman who were pressed up right against the sides of this like perspex swimming pool. And he was, how can I put this? Digitally pleasuring her in a swimming pool. <laughs> now, I'm no gynecologist. However, that must have hurt like hell. Okay. And then the same swimming pool in the same like 10 minute match I had, another dude just whipped his uh whipped his trousers, his shorts down, and got his uh, knob out and pressed that up against there. So there's these people getting arrested while I'm having this. Here's here's the thing, right? Uh, We're both men. We're both old men now. We, As men, we do strange things. Yes. That's a fact. Why do you think the relevant thing to do when you're in this situation, and there's other people around watching, is to 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 whip your Johnson out and squish it against the side of a perspex pool, oh, no. making it look like some kind of some kind of like half done bagel, and go, hey, look at that! Oh, God knows nobody's going to either be impressed or aroused or anything but by that. Why, why, is, why is that the thing like, to do? I don't know. My friend's like, I got pictures, but the security made me delete him. I was absolutely <laughs> Like I didn't have a long match that day. It was probably about ten minutes or so. <laughs> I got out of the ring and I was like, yeah, that was all right. People got into it. La, 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 la. I, I was hot as balls. It was like 42 degrees outside. And we wrestled outside in 42 degree temperature that day. <laughs> She's like, you'll never. So, yeah, that was that was probably one of my favorite Jeez. memories of a match that I wasn't involved with. And then, like, probably the biggest um, memory and most kind of most treasured, I'd say, um, was when uh, Canyon Seaman and uh, WWE executives came out to have a look at us one day. They had a big. Um, it was kind of ahead of what turned out to be a massive tryout in Dubai. They had about six months later and they came down and had a look at us. Um, and I remember talking to Caleb at the time, who was the guy who ran Dubai pro wrestling. He was like, Oh, you got to come down, man. They'll, they'll, they'll like what you do, but you know, trying to give me a bit of a pep talk. Cause at the time I was like, I'm 34 years old. They, if they want a 34 year old white guy, they've got thousands outside the door 
of the performance center they yeah. can just go hey you come here so i'm probably a bit of a pessimist in that sense like i'm i'm as enthusiastic as it can be about wrestling but somewhere between kind of pre a bit pessimistic or a bit kind of like no i know my chances from being around in wrestling a bit so we had this kind of it was a like a behind closed doors tryout so canyon seaman the guy who's responsible for hiring and firing was there and we had like a series of matches we did like uh different drills and things like that they had a really cool one in a, in uh in dpw called ring warriors which is like a great wrestling conditioning circuit that i'm looking forward to bringing back but um so i had a match <laughs> with somebody and this is kind of shows the difference of my mindset at 34 and 24 so i had this match with a guy that i'd wrestled a whole heap of times out there i've, I've uh, mentioned him to you uh, the pharaoh like big mm. big egyptian bodyguard guy for the shake who hit like a freight train and i quite like that i like the physical side of things in wrestling so we had our match but on this day in this match i think anything that could have gone wrong on his side and the referee side and i'm not putting heat on them did because <laughs> i think you know they were nervous it's wwe in, in town coming to have a look at us so we had this match and uh like the stuff we had planned and i we always amassed an audience even in our gym where people came down so because we were right in um an area where a lot of migrant workers live so they'd walk past and they'd hear all this noise and banging and shouting and like what's happening here and pop in so and then all the gym goers as well were kind of watching it because this a uh, really cool calisthenics gym that uh, we were homed in for a while so had this match <laughs> everything that could have gone wrong i was desperately trying to keep the wheels on it and it didn't and i remember just rolling out and just having this little wistful smile going well 10 years ago you'd have been inconsolable now it was what it was you put in a good showing and you know they'd be able to see it and I got I got a chance to kind of speak to Kenny Seaman only for like thirty seconds, and I got some really nice, encouraging words. He said, uh, I, "I liked what you did. There was some good stuff there. Keep going, blah blah blah." And I've no doubt that it was just generic stuff. But to kind of for me to exist on WWE's radar for that evening was a huge thing, and it's something where I, I do kind of treasure that because I never never thought that I would probably get looked at or acknowledged, or WWE would know that I exist. So to have like thirty seconds time, a minute's time chatting to the guy for hiring and firing was a real kind of nice shot in the arm and to have you know it was no doubt generic compliments thrown at me but it was a nice thing i did that uh you know the big bump i take off the second rope yeah something that he remembered went that was a really good bump man blah 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 and i was like okay thank you so much like it was <laughs> on the on the phone to jay riso at that time going brother you won't believe what i've just seen over here <laughs> your spots dude, your spots my boy some, some dude is stealing your shit in dubai <laughs> the, well, the I mean, infamous christian bump <laughs> the infamous christian bump but to be honest i mean that's a fantastic experience and a lot of mm. people can go to different places i mean i'm i, I still i talk to sydney von england on on a daily basis yeah uh, about his his current american adventures and he's telling me about what he's doing out there and it's he's having an amazing time oh, yeah, him and, him he, and uh, eden are gonna kill it out there uh, well they're having so much opportunity already and they're, they're getting the names across it's fantastic but a lot of people can go wrestle different places and eh, you get matches you don't really get opportunities sure. to to work with the senior most prevalent talent relations involving guy in the company and even be even have an interaction with somebody of that that Jeez. volume of his of his yeah. importance that's incredible i remember you messaging me going well guess what just happened to me and i'm like mate that's that's enormous and this, this even if it doesn't like, go anywhere that's enormous that's that you've interacted with the guy who's the hire and fire of the it. wwe like I, said, I existed on a yeah. level in 
you know, to WWE for that period of time. And I, I don't think I told many people about it because I was kind of umming and ahhing about going. And I remember turning up and I was in my, my work attire and I like to dress quite smartly for work. So I turned up uh, for this tryout in kind of a waistcoat, shirt and tie. And everyone's like, you made the effort. I was like, hey man, I come straight from work. Like I literally left work, got a lift home, grabbed my bag and just went up. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, not not quite a because I was I'm in an iron about it for a good couple of weeks. I was like, because the, the reason why I was I'm in an iron, it wasn't a case of oh they're not going to sign me, I'm not going to bother. It was more I don't want to get in someone else's way. If they're yeah. like they've come to the Middle East, it's it's a casting. You know what I mean? They've if if you're in the Middle East, you're looking for someone from the Middle East or somebody from that subcontinent. You know, you aren't as I said earlier, you're not looking for a, a guy in his 30s, a white guy in his 30s, because you open up the door to the performance center and shout, I need a bald 30 year old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How yeah. many are gonna yeah. come running? So it was it was more me kind of thinking, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to get in anyone's way, but it I kind of had the thought and I spoke with Caleb who was running it. He's like, no, man, calm down. Like you, I've always been kind of like a bit kind of, what's the word, kind of down on my abilities where I think, ah, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not amazing. So I don't want to kind of get in the way. But he's like, no, dude, you are a damn good performer. They'll, they'll have something that they will be able to give you something decent on what you've done, you know? And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I should go. It's, it's a hell of an opportunity. So I did. And it was, it was wonderful. So it's, you know, something that was a real shot in the arm for my career. And it kind of, it gave me a bit of a, bit of a confidence boost at that time as well because yeah, yeah I, I was probably kind of thinking uh much like you in 2013 thinking oh, i'm probably on the on the downslide you know i'm getting a bit older i'm you know a few miles on the tank so it's probably time to you know let somebody else was I, let somebody I, else was my thinking i think it was the the rebirth for you in a lot of ways because i yeah. think i remember from that point onwards you suddenly had a lot more vim and vigor a lot more drive mm. a lot more desire um i think you did the world of good but of course that leads us to once you returned to the homeland uh and what was the next iteration there's no more time for rich and famous That's it. Uh, I... even though you spoke about it at the time and, and i said no you're not going to be a sheep mm. um you're you're, <laughs> you're not going to do that desperate to do it still <laughs> oh, yeah still um, am. but then you came Got to me one gear. day and you said i've had this idea let's this you know give me some feedback and that was the birth of sunset skip and of yes. course yeah, me and you, we probably talk more about 80s retro wave music than we do wrestling. Yes. So, of Nowadays, course, it's... Um, that, yeah, I mean, that that immediately clicked to me. And I was like, do you know what? There's, there's a spot for this because nobody's doing anything no. like this. And you've got the personality, the personality and the charisma to pull it off. Absolutely. Um, you've got to go all in. Mm. But... Uh, I, I never thought that would be an issue. Um, and, I, and I loved the idea from, from day one. Mm. And I think, and I, I remember when we first started off and you were doing the uh, the fine sunset skip, kind of like, where's Wally, but on yeah. synthetic drugs. It, it was, <laughs> and that was fun. And you got lots of people to do the voiceovers and the uh, appearances on the videos. Yeah. And then we made the, uh, the skip facts map. That's it. Which, that was fantastic. Which, Even was, now yeah. people still pop for that. Um, uh, Sugar Dunkerton saw that and was like, "Dude, that is that is unreal." <laughs> the content in it was really funny. Yeah, like um, it was so good. I've I've actually started to make a UK 2020-2021 sunset skip map. I think I sent you kind of the yeah the start point of it, and it is just an arrow pointing to to where I live. With yeah, sunset skip stayed home, <laughs> sunset skip hands, was here and wore a mask. Like, exactly, it's, 
it's uh, not quite so uh, fantabulous. But it was it was a lot of fun, kind of in the early days working that character, and then mm. it, it's gone for a few iterations. Um, yeah. And you know, whenever we do shows, and there's always a few people that stand out on the UBW shows, and, and I try and make everyone stand out. But there's always a few people that people uh, in the audience either connect with or remember. And you can't not remember a 260-pound, tassel-wearing, tiger-print, loud, neon, retro-wave noise. Hot. Yeah. Yeah, hot no, noise. Like- you go hot, I go in noise. Um, <laughs> you can't not notice that. And you can back it up. I mean, you can you can go in there and do a long match. You can do a short mm-hmm. match. You can work with somebody half your size. I mean, I, I still maintain. I think it was 2019 or 2018. I can't remember. Too many share shots. But your match with Snare, yeah. which was two big lads, two yeah. big lads fighting. And, you know, a lot of guys were like, oh, okay, this will just be, this will be just your generic big lad bumps into big lad. Yeah, it will be your, your tugboat earthquake, which, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong, tugboat earthquake's a fantastic match. But you guys went out there and for 10, 12 minutes had match of the night yeah. by, by, by any, any stretch of the imagination. Fantastic, simple, straightforward, but also good, heavy, well structured. And clever, big hoss match, and it was fantastic. And mm. your match with CJ was 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 a, a, an absolute show stealer as well because yeah. CJ is just, just that good, so good, like so good to work the with. Curtain back a bit. Like what was great with the match with CJ, and I, I'm very very rare that I will say anything positive about my match. Like the match you mentioned with Snare, the one with CJ, the Crowley match, and maybe two or three others are the, the entire like body of work where I've gone. That was all right, mm. you know all right out of i would i was trying to work this out the other day i reckon i've probably had somewhere between five and six hundred matches so i would say i've probably got less than a dozen that i've gone that was everything i wanted it to be no yeah. like, i'm very overcritical and hypercritical like i've got beyond the point of thinking oh i missed this spot up missed this spot but it's more a case of we could have done this we could have had this like i i'm fortunate enough where i have uh the skill set I'd say to kind of pull an audience in and care pretty quickly into a match. So that's never been something that I've been worried about, but yeah, that was the, mm. the match with snare going back to that. That was something where I thought, no, this, this worked out super well because yeah. it, it wasn't what people would have expected it to be. It was, yeah, it was a, a match which took kind of quite a bit of, quite a bit of thought and uh, you know, it, it, and it delivered. But also, you know, sometimes you just click, yeah. somebody and you two definitely had that clickableness that's yeah. not even a word but i've invented it and i don't care um but it was it was great and you know you you can have the people that are the standout talents on shows of crowley mm. um you can CJ. And cj and stuff but you need your meat and potatoes mm. yeah and you can be the kind of guy that can open a show, finish a show. You can yeah. do a speciality match. You can do a straight up match. You had the uh, the pre show match with Adonis Payne uh, yeah. a couple of shows ago, and it was it was fantastic because he's a great young talent in the makings. Yeah. But at the same time, I make sure I don't roll you out there as oh here's this this guy that somebody's going to smash through to get themselves famous. No no no, it gives him credibility, but it That's keeps it. you strong as well. And I could plug you into a main event feud tomorrow, and nobody would bat an eyelid. No, and I think and, and those are things. I think where you know I'm what 18, 19 years in now. You know, pull back the curtain, brother, brother, brother. But I think, like you said, I can be slotted into any any yeah. position and do it well because I know what is needed for that spot. Okay, like mm. go, the uh, opening match with Adonis Payne. Okay, young wrestler, experienced wrestler, 
right i know the story there what and you have a young me young me <laughs> when yourself we've, we've made that joke so many times it's great but it's it's the right phone shop okay <laughs> it is the best tv comedy of all time the office is fantastic i love the office yeah. it's brilliant right it's, it's a masterpiece but I've, phone shop is the most quotable memorable uh, owl. piece uh, owl the most amazing piece of work ever made whether it's uh, owl whether it's um doing Behind an overnight redressing yeah, Mango get his thing. The dark of the berry, the sweet of the juice. Do a dead do an overnight redress. Um uh, <laughs> hot guys with lazy eyes. Hot guys with lazy eyes. There's there's so many things. Um Rochelle Cosby Briars. You know, there's 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 it's the best show. If you haven't Raz seen Prince it, you need to see it. Man a man a wagon mama man. Briars! Polka dots. Anyway, <laughs> we, we, if we can't turn this into a phone shot tribute show, oh, we, we must should. do an episode where we we will do that. Watch along. Best show ever. So, yeah. So, obviously, Skip is where we are now. Mm. And uh, I think especially during lockdown, like everyone during lockdown has had – they've gone through this, the, the different stages of grief. You've had every, banana bread lockdown, <laughs> tiger bread lockdown, <laughs> home workout <Yeah>. lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> prime up onesie one lockdown but everyone's formal onesie lockdown everyone's had that point of like oh, you know what wrestling's done i'm done with it i don't want to do yeah. it anymore and everyone's now in the past couple of months gone no i've got a reinvigoration now mm. i'm gonna make sure that when i come back i'm gonna be bigger than ever and and i was saying this to to hustle yesterday you know on the first show everyone's gonna treat the first show back like wrestlemania even if yeah. there's four people there that's it everyone's gonna go crazy but Everyone's got a, a renewed vigor and yeah. is desperate to get back on shows. And I think the rebirth, if you will, I think it's an opportunity to to start fresh with you and to do some new stuff. And I think you've got so much drive and desire now to, to do it. that in your last run, if you will. If you will. If you will. Um, I think... <laughs> the Sunset Skip Retirement Tour in 94. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we can really do something with it. Um, I'm hoping so. Like, and I've... I've spent lockdown actually doing a lot of stuff. Like I've bought mm. a backdrop. I've bought a green screen setup. I've bought a light setup. I've bought, uh, I've bought a couple of light setups. I've got like, it sounds silly, a new ring jacket, which I'm working and customizing. And I've got new gear design. So there's stuff where I'm like, I'm not just going to rest on my laurels and be like, oh, you know, it's the, the, the sunset skip of the first iteration mm. or the last iteration people saw. It's There's going to be this change and I want it to be kind of, I've got new stuff to try and it might not work. And if it works, I'll keep it. If it doesn't, it's going to fall to the wayside because you've got to adapt or you'll perish. Like I've got, like you said, I can slot in anywhere on any card on the country. And that probably sounds quite arrogant, but I genuinely, I know that I can have a hard hit in 25 minute match. I know that I can have six minutes where I can make somebody look like they are absolutely killing me and look like they are the greatest thing since sliced Jesus. So you just got to make sure you got your muffler in. Big Danny, you got your muffler, <laughs> got your muffler in. in. <laughs> right, look, we've got to finish up soon. So I'm going to go through the bits that we do at the end of my podcast just to get that bit of a personal touch to it. Absolutely. First off, I want to know what is the favorite match you've ever watched and a favorite match you've ever been in? Favorite match I've ever watched. There's two, so I don't care about your rules, so I'm going to mention the two. First one is the one that really kind of cemented me as a fan, Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman, Super Bowl 91 or 92 i can't remember the date off the top of my head i wonder what a... the second one is huh i wonder what the second one is <laughs> yeah but yeah no second... genre you know defining. what the second one is you yep. know what the second one is go on i'll get you to answer it i'm reckon it's a certain um theodore 
Dibiase <laughs> uh, yes. against a, a young Michael Jones. Yes. Um, yeah. Go for Ted it. Ted Dibiase and Virgil from SummerSlam 91. Now, everyone thinks SummerSlam 91, there was either, was it the match made in heaven? Match made in heaven. And uh, Brett and there per- was... Brett and Perfect. Brett and Perfect. And there was uh, Hogan and uh, Warrior against uh, Adnan and Sergeant Slaughter yeah. and, uh, and Shiki Baby. And also Judah L. Hayes' most infamous interview with Stu Hart of all time. <laughs> what do you think, Stu? Well, anyway, back to ringside. Yeah, so carry on. But on, on that stacked, stacked card, for me, the match that stood out as a young as a young boy and as a young man now was Teddy Biossi and Virgil. Because it was this culmination of like Virgil being browbeaten for ages and Roddy Piper's commentary was amazing. And Virgil did a flip after winning the match as well, <laughs> which I love. I, I, I actually used that match in an online training session recently mm. to teach everyone about the psychology of stuff. And everyone Fire. afterwards turned around and went, oh, I was really good. Yeah. That was really that was a really good story they told. Yeah. Like People wouldn't think that. Like Dibiossi is a masterful performer. Like Virgil, you know, people probably know that Virgil's not the most talented wrestler. He's the person that I remember a few years back, I was in a, a position to kind of make a few demands in a promotion I was in. And I got told we can have Bushwhacker Luke for one show. <laughs> and then after that, who do you want as a tag team partner? <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking Virgil, well. Virgil, 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 and it it, Love it. it fell through for various reasons, <laughs> but it was so, <laughs> because I mean, of his monetary demands, probably. But I remember telling you at the time, and I was like, "Mate, I might have Virgil as a tag partner," and you're like, oh, that's "Dreadful, <laughs> God, but, can't imagine." Uh, but yes, um, so yeah, that match, like Teddy Biossi and Virgil, like if you watch it and if you want to see storytelling. It's there. If you want to see a masterful wrestling performance, Ted DiBiase does it because, like, that is the definition of a ring general. Like, Ted DiBiase, his timing is unbelievable. His bumping is unbelievable. Where he is in the ring, like, that is an A plus grade wrestling, pro wrestling performance from Ted DiBiase. You know, it's, it's not the cliched broomstick match, but if you want to see a master at work, Ted That's DiBiase it. in virtual because Ted DiBiase knows his job in that match is to put Virgil over, yeah. like put him over strong, and he does. And now you can put yourself over strong. Favorite match you've been in? Probably the steel cage match I had in 2012. Uh, steel cage match to me is still the ultimate gimmick match. It's it draws people in not like no else. And again, there was a lot of backstory to it. Myself and Cruz, we had a, a feud where it started out. Like this, this whole feud lasted, I think, about 16, 18 months. And it started out with a, a, a mystery guy running in and hitting me with a ring bell, and I lose in the match. And then he appeared, and then we kind of we built this feud. He ended up forming his own version of uh, a little gang, a little posse, where they put those obstacles in front of me. And we had kind of carte blanche to kind of go, hey, this is an idea we want to run with. We want to do this. Can we do that? And we told, yeah, sure. And we were we were genuinely drawing people in. We started out with like, maybe, I mean, you, you were kind of dipping in and out at the time because you were in your kind of like, oh, I think I might be done with wrestling kind of period at that time. But you saw that we went from like maybe 50, 75 people. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, we'd have a hundred. And then mm-hmm. a few months later, 110, 120, and then so on and so on. And then by the time the steel cage match rolled around, I think we had over four or five, uh, I think it was about 400 people. 400, I, I remember. Yeah. Won't, won't exaggerate numbers. Cause you know, 400 people from 40, 
we genuinely drew people in like over that time it wasn't just the steel cage match that drew them in before that we probably had about 200 people in the steel cage match was certainly a huge kind of drawing factor but we had built what i think is one of the hardest things to build in british wrestling and that is a genuine following so they knew on the third saturday of every month at this venue the wrestling's on and they at this point were like ah Rich and Famous is going to get his, uh, he's going to get his revenge on Cruz, and oh, I wonder if Cruz is going to be, going to be an absolute kind of shitbag again, and kind of put this in his way, or you know, what's going to happen? And then finally, the steel cage match happened, and it was everything I would have wanted a steel cage match to be. It was, I think, it, at the time, it was quite a contemporary match. It was brutal. It had a great story. Like the ending, I remember the uh, the promoter at the time saying, like he he knew the finish. Like we told him the finish, you know, thirty five minutes beforehand he remembers standing there at the merch table jumping up and down watching the finish because he got that into it and for the promoter of the show to go okay i've completely yeah. dropped you know i know what's happening with this but i'm so into this match that you know the finish was, i'm lost was, in it yeah i was yeah. you know and the audience were and they were they were going crazy i'll, I'll put it up on a uh, on the sunset yeah. pages again it's on the old rich and famous pages but it's something that I am very proud of. Like, does it hold up to other cage matches people have done in the near 10 years since? Probably not so much. But to me, it holds up so well because it told the story perfectly. And what's a quite quite a funny little uh, little footnote in there. Early in the match, we did a, a suicide superplex just off the top. Neither of us decided we were going to come off the top of the cage because that ring was horrid. <laughs> but we did a, a suicide superplex and it was a heavy bump. And I think Cruz twisted in midair and landed on his ribs and knocked all of the wind out of himself. So whilst we're there selling, he kind of rolls over. It's like, we got to go home, man. we got to go home. I'm hurt. I was like, no, <laughs> no chance. Like, I, and I said to him, you've got like three minutes to get you, to get yourself together. Like not in a man up way, but it's a yeah. case of I'm going to buy you about three minutes of time from this yeah. next thing I'm doing. And it was the crawl to the cage door, slam the door into my head spot, big bump, sell, juice whatever so there was the time for the audience to kind of focus on me doing that giving him time to do that and you know recovered and we carried on another 15 minutes or so from there so it was you know it was it was a long match but i think a steel cage match warrants something that long so yes that was my favorite match because it was something i always despise to do like i've been fortunate mm-hmm. enough to do i'd say most major gimmick matches that are available on an independent level i love ladder matches i've done god i think in a in that sort of era, I think I did something like 18 ladder matches in a, in a year period because the, the company I was wrestling for, they did like show A, show B. There was a sale on ladders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't. Uh, there, was, there was one ladder match where it punctured my calf, but uh, I've still got oh, a yeah, nice scar there. But yes, the steel cage match, much like your, much like yourself, was the highlight of, uh, yeah. of my career. It's, it's the way you put a, fu- a full stop on a oh, story. Huge, yeah. huge full stop. Okay. And then onto a personal level. There's mm. island discs, so it's, you're you're older than me, uh, than most people. You don't. Not older than you. No, you're not. Like, you're not that like old. Like six years younger than you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're older than most people, so yes. you'll understand the reference. <laughs> yeah. So Desert Island, you get a chance to take with you one album, one movie to watch over and over and over and over again, Ooh. and one possession. Now I'm going to change the rules on this. It can't be something sentient. Oh, okay. People keep say. picking sentient creatures. <laughs> no, it's going to be an object. Uh, okay, right. I've, I've, I've written this down so I can think. Okay, album. Uh, I would go with 10 by Pearl Jam. Oh, good choice. Because good choice. There's, there's not a bad song on there. True. Jeremy True. is just one of the greatest songs ever. Yeah. Even Flow, 
one of the greatest songs ever. Uh, Oceans, I mean, I, top to bottom, black, unbelievable. Porch. Album. It's just, it's yeah. porch, yeah. Like, why go? Like, there is, there is not, there's not a filler on the album. There's no. not a, a song which is below a standard. Yeah, you know, everything's like Jeremy and Even Flow and Porch and Once are A plus, yeah. and then there's nothing below like release, like a, a you know an album track which is just oh so good. So yeah, the album ten by Pearl Jam cool. without any hesitation. Despite me being like the the superhero of synth wave and like a lover of Lionel Richie, ten by Pearl Jam is the album that I would take. Nice movie. Ah, oh, I'm a big movie buff, so this is tough. Like nailing it down to one, but it would probably be, and this this is kind of on brand. I would go with Gleaming the Cube. With uh, I knew Christmas you were going to pick Gleaming the Cube. It's yeah. your it's your film. It's your, it it's your one. It's like it it's unbelievable it's so good like uh i think about well not many people have, have seen it it was a, a young christian slater uh, i think you movie. and christian slater are the two that have seen it yes yes i think i have like and then i've told everyone i know about it and it's on youtube as well so anyone who's watching who wants to watch a good cheesy 80s action movie christian slater gleaming the cube but yeah he's a, a skateboarder who's adopted vietnamese half-brother is found dead in mysterious circumstances everyone says it's suicide Brian, Christian Slater's character, knows otherwise, so he seeks out to get his brother's justice, and it's so good. It's got all of like the key skateboarders from the eighties in there, like Tommy Guerrero, Tony Hawk, um, Rodney Mullen. Like, if if I, I loved skateboarding when I was younger as well, so that kind of was a whole kind of combination of different worlds. Fantastic, and your item. I don't know. I'm not. This sounds sounds weird. I'm not a massively material person. If it was a sentient no. thing, it'd be my son because yeah. he's awesome, but. I don't know. Probably, <laughs> I I I do <laughs> a bum hose, <'cause... laughs> right? Do you mean a bidet? No. Well, yeah, a shataf, like a, a bum hose gun. Because <laughs> hey, look, like... I've got a pressure washer downstairs, and we could try this out once. Oh, mate, no, no. Like the pressure on the bum hose has got to be very exact. But living in the Middle East, like anyone who's lived in Asia or spent a lot of time in Asia knows that, like. The toilet gun, the bum hose, once you've tried it, is a life changer. So I would say the bum hose would be the object I would take because, like, why in 2021 are we as humans still thinking that wiping your bum with a bit of dry tissue is sufficient? I'm so, with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Like, I, I was a firm advocate for the wet wipe movement a good 10 years ago. I think I converted pretty much everyone I know onto wet wipes. So my new aim is to convert everybody onto the bum hose. Because it's cleaner, it's hygienic, it's you feel fresher. Um, like, <laughs> and if you I'm if you properly use properly use uh, a bum hose, you don't have a need for a muffler to beat Johnny. No, like you, you can use a little bit of toilet paper to kind of you know dab 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 and clean the back wheel. But yeah, like the bum hose has um a, a, a I can't think of a, a word, but has a wide range of of uses. So. One of my friends told me about her use of the uh, the bum hose for the bum hose deluxe, and I won't won't go into that story as it's not safe oh, for work. But God. I'm sure you can I'm sure you can think of it. Yeah, I can. It's a little bit of a um, special tickle. So look, we've finished on on an unbelievable high note there. <laughs> God, that's that's gone from one extreme to the other. Um, so very quickly, we're going to finish up in the next two minutes. You have got two minute countdown. Uh, what's the next steps for Sunset Skip? Ah, uh, world domination. That's fair. That's uh, that's it. No, I, I want to have like we've mentioned that you know I am 
more seasoned. I'm a little longer in the tooth than some of the other guys, but I want to have like a last couple of years of really kind of showing everyone just how good I am, what I've got left in the tank. I'm not just there to, to fill a spot. I'm there to show that I am the potential main guy for wherever I am and to get anywhere I can do. You know, I want to wrestle for the higher profile promotions. I want to wrestle the higher pro- uh, profile wrestlers, but I also want to bring on young wrestlers best I can guys coming through the square one Academy help coach people there. So there's an awful lot that I've got left to do both for myself on a selfish uh, sense and on a kind of older guy passing things on. So yeah, it is just kind of pass on what I've got and enjoy doing what I'm doing and uh, have some meaningful stuff over the next uh, whenever long it'll be once we're back to normal. I think when shows restart in 2027, um, you know, we'll have a good run of it. So we keep working towards it absolutely well look thank you for this thank you for absolutely. spending the time i thought we were going to do about an hour we've done just short of two dude we could do so much more we I could even... we've scratched the surface there's stuff that i've not mentioned like i've not mentioned the uh the offer of a nigeria tour that i legit got i sent you a screenshot of it the other day because it popped yeah. into my head after uh, uh do, seeing something on twitter so there's so much you more see, to do in the future. See, this is this is good storytelling on your part because you've left just enough that you've got to have a rematch absolutely brother, you've got to have brother. the return that's what I do. Whenever I have a match that I enjoy, and if you've if you've ever seen this, you might notice that Sunset Skip will get the microphone and just kind of drop the breadcrumbs of a challenge. Not kind of demand that we're going to be here, 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 but as as you and I have had that happen yeah. to us so many times, and you go, no chance, not doing that again. But uh, <laughs> you can always tell yeah. these moments because you can see me at ringside, just looking at the ring, doing the cutthroat gesture going stop talking we've got time <laughs> but i look at you give you a wink and i'm like i'm making money for next time that's, brother. No, like, it's, a, it's yeah. a big investment for when we come back he's one of those really long canes that i can just pull along and just drag you off the stage uh, with the uh what like mr t's hall of fame promo <laughs> we need our own big glenn <laughs> like they, the <laughs> glenn and feck <laughs> we need our own big glenn i don't know maybe we'll like uh put nick on kim's shoulders and put a coat around him and be like that's go out and be big glenn no, come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed come on, T. Off you go. Broke my heart. But yes, yes, there's, there's still much there is. on the table for everyone. We'll have to book the rematch. Absolutely, brother. I'll put you over strong. Yeah. Wow. You know, someone's going. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> Thank mate, you, for mate. this time. It's been really good. Um, it's been a pleasure. Well, we'll catch up after this. But yeah, to everybody that's enjoyed this, thank you for listening. To everyone that hasn't enjoyed it, listen to it again. I don't care. Enjoy this. Like and subscribe. Follow Sunset Skip. Where can they find you, Sunset Skip, on the social media? On the uh, on the Twitter machine, on the Instagram application, and on the Fatcher book at Find Sunset Skip. It's uh, I think it's quite an easy way of being able to find Sunset Skip. Just look for the words Find Sunset Skip. There's a Sunset Skip hashtag, which has got all of the uh, the tall tales of Sunset Skip, including the time where uh, recently I went to bed before midnight. That's probably the the tallest tale ever, considering I used to be able to wrestle on seven continents in a day. Nowadays, I went to bed before midnight. So it's, things uh, that lockdown does to us. It's changed me. It's changed yeah, me, brother. It's ruined you. Thanks, brother. Look, we'll speak after this. But uh, thanks for having time on this. Cheers, dude. Bye. Well, that was unbelievable fun. And that was a couple of hours that just shot by. I was laughing so much. I thought I was going to pass out. It was just a real good, fun time to relive some old memories and to think we've barely even scratched the surface of the last 20 years. There's so many more just insane stories that we can tell. I think we need to kind of maybe vet them first, just for legal reasons. But some of the stuff we've been through over the years is, is just... Oh my god, it's it's radio gold. So I'm gonna finish up. But before I go, first of all, please make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Second of all, 
Skip, this is for you. I want you to do a special little outro music. And I know how much you love Virgil. But I couldn't quite get what I wanted, so I had to make something. And there's only so much you can do with free tools on the internet and technology. So all I can say really is um, enjoy. Bye-bye. Thank you.